Welcome to the Dear Katie podcast. This is Katie Kastner. And this is Claire Kaplan. Before we get started, I just want to remind our listeners that we know that the contents of this podcast can be emotionally difficult. We also encourage you to care for your safety and well-being. So please reach out to friends, family, or even a hotline for support. Additional resources can be found on the Take Back the Night Foundation website. We will share that address with you toward the end of our podcast. So let's hear from another survivor who wrote to me some time ago, whether it be by snail mail or email, what they shared, uh, their deep secrets, some of them never having told anyone else before. Dear Katie, I just wanted to thank you again for coming to our school. Your presentation touched many and enlightened us. We are so very fortunate that there are strong, dedicated, and committed people like you who give their lives to others. Personally, it is a relief to know that someone else went through a similar experience. To be reassured that my feelings and reactions are normal means so much. I just hope that somehow you and others are the key to some changes. Maybe a spark will be lit at my school and there will actually be a policy for sexual assault and rape. Even though I've known you for less than a day, I feel so comfortable around you. I admire your openness and frankness when discussing such personal and difficult issues with complete strangers. You are definitely an inspiration for all of us females, especially the victims. You give me hope that there is some sort of healing with time and that I can turn this devastating experience into a tool I can use to help others. I hope to see you next fall. Take care. Wow, always so powerful. And today, now, let's uh, join uh, together and wel- welcoming Sabrina. Sabrina, thank you so much for coming along on your own journey with us and sharing what happened to you um, with our listeners and talking about your healing strategies. So welcome, Sabrina. Um, could you maybe start out telling us a little bit about yourself? Hi, thank you for having me. Um, my name is Sabrina. I'm 24 years old. I am a journalist. I write for the local newspaper in the county we live in, and then I freelance for multiple online sites. So, um, Sabrina, share with our listeners um, what experience brings you to your microphone uh, with us today. When I was 17 years old, um, I wanted to be a firefighter and EMT. So I took this uh, two-year program, junior and senior year, as to get my fire one and fire two certifications. And so we had an event to cover um, for Memorial Day and I didn't have a ride that day. And so I put in the group chat that I needed a ride and if anyone was available. And this one advisor offered to take me for a ride to this event. So he uh, picked me up and everything seemed normal. I mean, I didn't think anything of it. And we sat through the event, and when the event was over, he said he had to go back to the classroom to do something. 
real quick. It would only take a couple minutes. And I remember following him through those doors and he started like he started sweating and just was like really agitated. I had no idea. I'm like, what the heck is going on? And he kept like looking around and making sure no one was around. And I remember he like grabbed my arm and pulled me fully into the room and then closed the door. And I just remember sitting there thinking like, what is going on? What's happening? And I kept asking him, are you okay? Like, what is wrong? And uh, he just kept telling me like, be quiet. I have to think. Um, I need to focus. Like, just listen. And kept like going over and over saying stuff like that. I, at that point, I knew I was in trouble. I sat there and was like, I have no idea what I'm supposed to do. There is the, only the one door. So it got to the point where he took me to the back corner of the classroom and we had like all these bookshelves. You couldn't see through the door window. So if anyone, a janitor or someone were to walk by, no one would be able to see that that's where we were located. And uh, he got very aggressive and... He just kept saying, like, you're making me do this. This is your fault. I'm sorry. This has to happen. Like, this is just how it's going to be. And I am not a big person. I'm 5'3 and 130 pounds. And I was 17. And this is a person who's in his mid-40s and 300 pounds and six foot four. So I knew right there I didn't really stand much of a chance. And I did all I could to just get through that moment. I was crying. I was worked up. I kept shaking my head no. Um, The more I tried to fight what he was doing, he got just more angry and more violent. And after a while, I mean, I don't want to say my body just gave up, but I think I just laid there and hoped for it to end and to get through that moment. And hopefully he would take me home when it was done. And hopefully that that would be it. Um, he was a member of the community, though he was actually a firefighter and paramedic and then a teacher. And so he used like that power that he had of authority to control me for months. And he would make comments to me regularly that no one would believe me if I told them because he was so active in the community and the school wouldn't believe me because he was a good teacher and a role model and all this. And so he like gaslighted me for months thinking that he was some great guy and that no one would ever believe what he did to me. And I just let it go on for a little bit until finally I had a breaking point and I couldn't take it anymore. Can I break in here for one second, Sabrina, and just um, first let you and let our audience take a breath. But also I I want to ask, and thank you for sharing that. It must have been really difficult. Um, Had you met this guy before that first day? Had you ever met him before? Oh, yes. Um, I was already in the program for one uh, like school year already the year before. And I mean, he would make uh, I was the only girl in my class at that time. It's not something still to this day that many females are a part of. So I'm surrounded by teenage boys going through puberty. And so comments like remarks would be made about me being a female in the fire service and stuff all the time. And he had made comments and remarks prior to this day of when that the first time actually happened. And I didn't think anything of it at first because I, you know, the teachers or the advisors or whatever, they always want to fit in with everyone and be the favorite. So when they, they would make these jokes and remarks, I didn't, I didn't mean I just brushed it off after a while because it was something that they all would joke about. Was it, were they kind of demeaning, like, 
uh, or like girls that belong in the park, or were they more about? Were they more sexual? What were they like? Those uh, they were definitely sexual. Um, I the first year of the fire science program, I was always on the nozzle of the hose when we were training, and they would make remarks like, "Oh, could you handle my hose like that?" Or, "I bet my hose would be too big for you to handle," referring to their penis, thinking that it's like a joke, continually saying this stuff over and over. So were the, the so your fellow students were saying these things. Yeah, and then the advi- why this advisor was around, and he would jump in and make comments. And I'll never forget this one comment he made. He made a comment saying, "If the girl's old enough to bleed, she's old enough for me." And that I was disgusted by that. Like that is a disgusting remark. And I will never forget that day when they all started going with these comments. And I think they knew it irritated me. So I think they honestly, purposely would do it to get a rise out of me. But he participated in it. Oh, yeah, he participated, and he would tell them new jokes almost daily. And no one ever, I mean, did other adults hear these things? No one ever put a stop to it. I mean, a lot of them just went along with it and agreed with it. The climate was very, was, I think it was a hostile climate, basically. It was basically. Yeah, and I mean, I'm glad now, the program, now they have to have one female advisor, which I'm glad because they didn't have that when I was there. It's, I mean, it's a tough field to be in, and then you have these other people making rude remarks about you being a female in this service, when all I wanted to do was help the community I lived in. I wanted to be active in the community and help people and be there for people on their worst day, and these people are just making jokes about it. So this guy was really, in a way, what was happening was, it sounds to me like you were being desensitized in a way to, you were having to brush off, as you said, these very sexist comments and his. I mean, it's one thing from your peers when you kind of expect adolescent boys to be saying stupid things, but it's quite another for the adults to reinforce it and to be even worse. And it sounds like he was, you were going through a process of desensitization. So... Then when you got to that point, you know, where all your little alarm bells were going off, it sounds like, it, you know, what what else did you know? You know, you knew just to not listen to them. Yeah, I guess in the beginning when they would make these comments, I would, like, get irritated. I'm like, that's not, this isn't something to joke about. Like, this is a career. This is a life we're building towards. And then after a while, I just kept going, and that's all I did. I would just roll my eyes and walk away like it's going to happen again tomorrow or <laughs> the next day. So... Right. And if you wanted to go into that field, you, you know, this is the message for women who go in non-traditional fields, even traditional fields, but non-traditional especially, you were going through that as a, as a kid, as a trainee, going through that process of having to desensitize yourself to major red flags, you know, and put up with stuff that clearly, it, it, it basically it led you to be in a corner. Yes. You were in a corner. Literally in a corner. Yep. So this man assaults you, and you said it got to the point where you eventually had to tell. How did that happen? Um, I was a good student. I mean, I had a good GPA. I studied for all my tests, and my grades started slipping really bad. And my mom was confused as to what was going on, and I my personality just started to change, and I was just kind of shutting the world out. I kept saying I was sick because I didn't want to go to school. And after a while, she um, 
I got in a fight with them on my 18th birthday and I was out with friends and I got home late and they were mad at me and they grounded me and they took my phone and he would send messages to my phone um, like threatening me like if you tell anyone I will come after your sisters if you tell anyone I'll ruin your life and would text me these threats in hopes to keep my mouth shut and my parents let me take my phone to school in case of an emergency and the one morning I left my phone on the kitchen island knowing my mom is a very nosy person and she seen these messages pop up on my phone and I remember I was in fire science class that day and the police and the principal came into the class and removed him um the like dean of students and the dean of the career center program came back a couple minutes later and they pulled me out and that's when it all started um at first i lied and said it was just messages and threats and then after a while my mom kept counting me and she's like something is really wrong like you this is not you this is not who you are like what is going on and i eventually uh just completely broke down and that night we were supposed to go to the police department so I could talk about it and I, a couple hours before I just told my mom everything that happened and that's just that's how it all came about. What was her response when you first told her? Um, she was crying. She was really upset. Um, she was mad at him. She the first thing she did was just hugged me and kissed the top of my forehead. And I remember I was so scared to tell my dad. He was very protective over us and my parents were they're like tough love type of people though, like you suck it up, you deal with it, you move on. And I guess as time went on that they did stick to that mentality. Um, but in the beginning, they were compassionate and worried and just trying to make sure that I was safe. And she told my dad when he got home from work that day, and I was in the kitchen making a grilled cheese. And my dad came in and he just hugged me and said, you'll be okay, kiddo. And then we ended up going to the police station a couple hours later. And that's when I started giving my first statements. I know Katie has questions. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, um, you're doing such a great job um, sharing such a painful and just completely toxic environment where you were trying to do good in the world. You know, I, I that really is so frustrating to hear. And I'm sure our listeners, you know, are thinking about, you know, thank God that you thought about your nosy mom <laughs> for once you know having a nosy mom I know I that was the one time I was thankful that she was always up in my business <laughs> right I think I think that's really really great that she you know took the initiative and immediately well I guess the only thing I I think about sometimes is do you wish she would have told you what she was doing or are you glad she just did it I think I would have liked, we're all in, I mean, I'm in class with my peers and being the only female in the program, like in my class, um, it was very quick when people put two and two together and realized who it was. Uh, we were, it was a small town. I mean, they never released my name or anything, but after a while, I mean, when that news got out, I remember I was leaving the school counselor's office that day because the first news article released. And I remember walking to the bus when the last bell rang 
and the whole entire hallway, every single person was just staring at me. And I will never, ever forget that feeling. Um, so I kind of wish that she would have, like, told me, like, hey, I think, or, hey, maybe this is what we should do about this. But, and then a part of me was just glad that that part was over. Like, I knew that this was going to be done, that he couldn't hurt me anymore. So then I was relieved in that sense. So I guess, I don't know, probably 50-50 with how I felt about it. Do you think if she had asked you, you would have said, yes, that's what I want? Um, I think at that point, yes. I was in a very bad spot mentally, and I was over it. Um, I was just letting myself go. I just wanted to give up on everything. And so I think at that point, I just would have been glad that it was over. I think, I think that part of your story is really important because we have, you know, all kinds of situations with our survivors and our, I'm sure our listeners, some, some wish someone would come in and make it all go away. And some really like taking control of the situation themselves. So I, I think it's interesting to hear you say there's kind of a 50-50 for you on how you felt. And I think we should, you know, talk about what what's been, you know, good or bad or hard, hard since then. Um, it's definitely been like a roller coaster, the whole process. Um, when it first happened, it was overwhelming. I mean, I, I think when I first came out about it, for like the first probably month and a half, it was, I felt worse, honestly, than the pain that I was encountering for months. Um, really, I never heard many people talk about the nightmares. I mean, I was scared to sleep in my room. He was initially arrested, but he got out on bail. So I had this fear of him showing up at the house or angry at me for, I mean, he threatened my life. He threatened my sisters, like my career. So I was scared for a while and I just had to keep reliving those moments giving statements to cops and child advocacy centers and then they switched counties of where he was going to be convicted and all that so I had to give statements in a different county again and then people doubting you and I think the first few months were honestly just hell I mean I would never wish anyone to go through any of that pain or the bullying that I went through and I would get letters uh, in my locker of what teacher I was going to sleep with next to pass the class or um, letters (laughs) saying I should kill myself and um, people saying I was a threat because I was 17 and I should have known better and comments of if you would have just waited a couple months it would have been okay and stuff like that and people don't take time to understand or listen to the full story they just take what they want and run with it and that was I mean that was traumatic that was hard I thought these friends that I grew up with were going to be my friends by my side through this and their parents wouldn't let them hang out with me um wouldn't let them talk to me I mean I wasn't able to go to my regular classes because the staff was the school staff was scared of people getting violent or bullying me and um interfering with their education so I stayed with this um one like school counselor I just stayed in the counselor's office and did all my work finished out my senior year that way so you actually were not allowed to go back into the classroom nope the one person on the school board said they were scared that I was a threat to the staff and students because of the remarks and comments that were being made you were just that interesting so um I was just thinking 
all the bullying you went through, and you hear, you hear stories of kids who were driven to suicide because of this. I mean, how was your mental health through that process? The Child Advocacy Center, I don't want to say they forced me, but they highly recommend going to therapy through all that. I'm not a person you can force. Um, I will do things when I'm ready on my own time. And I remember going to these therapists and psychiatrists, and they gave me like anxiety and depression medicine at first. I would take as much as I could in a day. And I literally, I just remember feeling like a zombie half of the time. My parents took away my internet access because I would go on on Facebook and I would pull up the news articles and read all these comments that people would make. I honestly don't know why I did that. I don't know if I was hoping that I had people on my side. I don't know if I was hoping people believed me. I honestly don't know, but I would read these comments and there was bad, like bad comments. And these are strangers that I never even met or knew. And I would drive myself to go crazy. Like I'd just start crying and freaking out. And so they wouldn't allow me on the internet for a while after that because my I mean my mental health was bad I would just try to sleep a lot um, like I said I had bad nightmares I slept on my parents bedroom floor for a couple months after just because I was scared of him showing up to finish what he started and did you get any any support at all from your peers or from anyone else in the community did anybody express their support of you honestly not too many no sadly um, the school resource officer, he was super supportive and definitely on my side. Um, I have two sisters, but uh, me and my one sister were nine years apart, and me and my other sister are 22 months apart, and she was actually in the same high school as me when this was going on. So she she kind of just, like, shut it out and tried to ignore it because, and I don't blame her. I mean, we were in the same school, and comments were being made towards her. So I get she would be supportive at home, but not in school if that makes sense. Because she had to deal with her peers as well. And she, she's younger, I I assume, Sabrina. Yeah. She's a younger sister. Yeah, 22 months younger. Wow. So you were really isolated. But clearly you, you showed a lot of strength because here you are. Yeah, and I, my, I mean, I was going to finish my senior year of school. I mean, I was going to walk across that stage. I busted my butt for my GPA and honor society. And I graduated that fire science program with my credentials to start a career when I graduated. I was determined. He was not going to take that away from me. There was no way I was going to allow that. Um, that was something that I took pride in. I mean, I was proud of the tests I passed and the physical tests that I had to pass. And he took so much away from me. I wasn't going to let him take that away. And I finished and I walked across that stage at the end of the year. You know, Sabrina, I'm listening to all you're telling us. And one truly have this enormous amount of internal strength. And I wonder, um, you know, if it's the same sort of strength that encouraged you initially to go into you know firefighting and the career you chose because that career choice in and of itself is bold it's brazen you're taking huge risks with your life and putting confidence in your own kind of what's important to you and I wonder if there's some part of that that was helping you just get through what you did, um, that same sort of perseverance and determination. Do you think about that? 
Um, yeah, I do. I'm a very dedicated person in everything I do. I don't know if it's how I was raised or if it's just in me, but I put my all into everything that I do. And I just, I know many people say this, but I just want to be the best me that I can be. And I don't know, I try to just keep a strong head on my shoulders and try to focus on the good in every bad situation. And I think that's helped me a lot. Yeah, I hear that. Um, and the other thing I was curious about is, you know, you talked a little bit about your dad being kind of like go along, get along. How was he throughout all this? They were both very supportive in the beginning, but then when like the court, I'll never forget, they came to my job after the last court date and they walked in there and they go, it's finally over. And I guess, I don't know, that comment still bothers me because it will never be over. I mean, that part, yeah, great, that's over. But this is something that just doesn't ever go away. This is something that I will live with my entire life. Like it's never just going to be over for me. And I don't think they ever will understand that. So that part kind of irks me. But the be- I mean, the beginning, they were super supportive. And um, like my safe place, like I knew if I was at home or if I was with them, that I was okay. Yeah, well, that was important to be able to feel safe at home and with your parents. So I understand that, you know, for them. And you know what, they may have, it might have been partial wishful thinking on their part, because I'm sure afterwards, they realized that no, it isn't quite over yet. But still, for you, it definitely wasn't over. Yeah, I mean, they did They did a lot of the court stuff. Um, I didn't have to appear at a lot of the court dates, thankfully. So they, I mean, thank goodness for them because they took care of all of that for me. Um, I would just give statements prior or like video statements prior to the case. And so, I mean, if I didn't have them through that, I don't know what I would have done. I'm wondering how your perspective on all of that has shifted or what you might have taken away from that experience in terms of where you are today. Not the assault itself, which is a whole other subject, but which is the main subject, but the experience of going through the criminal justice system and what you went through in school. How do you think that has molded or shaped you as you are now? I mean, I'm not going to lie. The system makes me pretty angry sometimes. <laughs> I don't know. I feel, obviously, I didn't get proper justice, um, that he didn't get what he deserved. I think every person that goes through that, they'll probably think so. Um, I don't think there'll ever be enough <laughs> that I think he deserves to make up for how I felt. Um, but the actual, like, going through, talking with the cops, and then going to the Child Advocacy Center, and then talking to the school board, and then talking to these judges and lawyers and other people, people that are in these courtrooms I mean it's pretty scary because I felt sometimes they like doubted me like they or like just some questions they would make like are you sure that happened did this really happen like and then they would ask for like great detail and that's the last thing I wanted to do was go into detail about it um so I think that I just wish they would have approached it differently because it was a very traumatic time in my life and I feel they just try to like hound you and rush it type of thing at least that's how I felt with my experience um, and then with the school, <laughs> I, I don't know, the school was a whole different story. They didn't want me to, like, we do a senior cruise, and we go, we would go out on Lake Michigan, and we would go on this boat out on the lake for the day, and we would do lunch and everything, and they tried to tell me that I couldn't go, because they were scared that one of the students or someone would try to push me off the boat or something. Like, that was so crazy to me. They didn't want me going to prom, because... They were scared of 
some like something ruining the prom or a remark or something being made like what happened i mean i for a while i tried to think of if it was my fault or wasn't my fault but like i didn't choose to have this whole situation happened in my life and I didn't want to miss out on these opportunities that are once in a lifetime. So that was pretty frustrating. Um, My parents helped be my voice too and express that that wasn't fair and I should be able to participate and partake in these things. And I was allowed to. Um, I had to. My mom came on a couple of the events with me and then I had a school counselor and she was very um, amazing and helpful. And my EMT teacher, she actually went through a similar situation when she was younger. And it was nice to have someone in the same like career path that I was in. And so she helped with getting me through the school and talking to the school board about letting me stay at school and that was just super nice and helpful and I appreciate the ones that kind of helped be a voice for me. What else did you like about the counselor? Um, She was when the first article released um, because I would sit like in the counselor's like the school counselor's office and that's where I would do my work and stuff and I remember her coming out and saying that the article was released and she didn't want me to be blindsided. I get she never like tried to sugarcoat or lie to me. Like I feel my parents sometimes would be like try to hide when these news articles or I mean it was on the local news. Like it was on Chicago news, like his mugshot and everything. I mean it's spread it pretty far. And I feel my parents would try to hide it from me. And she was very honest about it because she didn't want me to walk out of that office and be blindsided by a student if I went to the bathroom or was going to the cafeteria to get lunch. And I I appreciated that because I felt she just took time to be truthful about the situation and never tried to hide something to protect me. Sure, of course, you wanted to control over what was happening. And it sounds like pretty much everything was out of control for you. Yeah, it seemed that way. I, I'm just thinking here, I'm like completely gobsmacked, for lack of a better word, by how the school addressed this. I mean, by they probably thought they were protecting you, and all they did was blame you. Yeah, I was, it, it, it's like they, it, it's sort of, it's like dress codes. They think they're keeping girls safe somehow, and then they deny them an education because they don't teach boys. Yep. It's the same kind of thing, like, oh, well, we'll protect you by keeping you out of your classroom, by denying you your peers, by keeping you away from everybody, by not letting you go to school events. I mean, yeah, it was shocking because these are people, I mean, there's some kids that go to school and that's the only safe place they have, you know, like these are people we're supposed to look up to. They're supposed to help you and guide you. And I felt they were not doing that for me at all. They were trying to just keep me to be quiet and they literally offered my parents homeschooling programs so I could finish school at home like that I don't know I'll always be angry at that school (laughs) well you know it's not a bad thing to offer it but it's quite another thing to make it sound like that's like the better alternative to like that was the only option I had is how they made it it was aggravating because I had so much taken away from me like you're I wanted to be in control of things that I could control at that time and going to school and finishing graduating my senior year I had control of that like I was wanting to do that. Um, I, I want to talk a little bit more to Sabrina about anger. Um, you have a lot to be angry about. And 
tell me how you feel you cope best with when you get really angry at the system or at people who have betrayed you or not supported you. How, how do you find ways to cope with that? Um, I always have loved writing. I wrote a lot. I would write poems. I would just write how I was feeling. I would write I had notebooks all over our house, and wherever I was, if I felt something or seen something, I would just write what I was feeling, and that I felt like that was something that I could control, and that was like something I could always look back on and see how far I've come. Um, I've kept every single journal I've ever written in, and I can go back to that first month of when I came forward and seen how far I've come since that. And I mean, it makes me proud because I never gave up. I kept fighting and I worked my butt off to get where I am today um, for a while. And I know I shouldn't have done this because I was underage, but I would steal liquor from my parents' cabinet and I would hide it and I would just drink until I fell asleep when it first happened. And that was very bad. I should never have done that. I don't know why I did that, but I didn't feel anything. And I, it was I would just go to sleep and it was like nothing existed. Do you go revisit the um, journals very often or do you have periods where you go read through them? I definitely have. There's like certain days like because uh, it was Memorial Day, the day that happened. And that day just still makes me so mad. So that day I usually go back and I'll read stuff. Um, there's like January 10th is when I uh, left my phone and everything for my mom. And so that day is kind of traumatic. So I try to go back to when I first started writing on those days that are still kind of hard. You just, I don't know if our bodies just know or if we just think about it prior or what, but I get angry on those days or upset. And then I try, I revisit those and I realize how angry and upset and how my mental health was then and look at where I am now. And it makes me proud that I did what I did and that hopefully it helps more people want to get proper justice and take their life back because I felt like mine was taken away for so long. What are some of the top things that you feel like you've reclaimed? If you had to give me two or three Sabrina, that you feel like I've I've overcome or I've conquered or I feel more in control of or definitely like my mental health because um, I felt like for a while like my parents would tell me like it's okay like you don't have to be scared like I felt like they were telling me people were telling me how to feel or how to think and I think as time went on I realized like no one can tell me how I feel like I feel how I feel and that's just it like. And I felt it was hard for people to understand the situation. Um, it's not something every single person goes through. So but definitely like my feelings and how my feelings are valid and it's okay if I feel bad on some days or happy on others. And I don't have to live like I feel some people feel like you should just live a life of sorrow and pity and that I can have happy, good days and I could grow and be successful and have the life that I wanted um for a while I've been, I mean I've been in and out of therapy it's something I'm stubborn about I don't know I feel like I should just be brave enough to handle it on my own and I think that comes with a tough love of how my parents raised us like life throws you lemons make lemonade you deal with it you move on and so for a while I felt like I just had to figure it out on my own and I realized that sometimes it's hard to do that and it's okay to get help so just un honestly understanding my feelings and my health and what I need to do for myself for a while. I mean, I 
sat there and I never had sex or anything prior to that. So it was painful and traumatic. And I would think like I'd never have a family. I'd never get married. I would never have anything because he took everything from me. And I remember my the one school counselor said that you can claim when you lose your virginity and that what wasn't it like when you're ready and you have that moment like it'll be completely different than that and it took me forever to like realize that because I never wanted to honestly see a man or be near a man ever again um but as time went on I found my now husband and he was very understanding of everything so so how did you two meet um, he actually worked at the restaurant that I worked at, too, and we were friends, and then as time went on, I mean, he was a person that I felt comfortable with, and um, he was just never, like, judged me. What are some things that you would, you, it sounds like you learned a tremendous amount through this process. I'm wondering if there's certain things that you think that survivors should know based on your experience. I definitely learned a lot. Um, I have like a few key points that I feel ha- like mean a lot to me. Um, like trust is a big thing because this was a person that I should have been able to trust and be comfortable around for a while. I mean, I did not trust any, I don't care who you were, I did not trust you. Um, I felt like everyone had a secret agenda. So I definitely learned as time went on though, I learned who I could and couldn't trust. And it was a process to be able to get back to a point where I felt comfortable letting people in or trusting people. I'd say you definitely do gain it back in time and you understand how to see the good and bad in people, I feel. Um, And another thing that I've learned for sure is that trauma, like that lasts a lifetime, like that will never go away. Though I'll, and I have like, I still have like triggering moments or words that kind of make me angry still, like hearing a door, like a deadbolt lock, because he locks the door to the classroom. From the time I like started the program, we all had like nicknames for each other and they would call me toots. And I don't know why or where that came from, but I can't, like that word is disgusting. And probably like, I don't want to say this to like scare people into not sharing, but the aftermath of it can be kind of traumatic and scary, but I would do it. I would do it over again just because I feel I came out as a stronger person. Like it definitely, I mean, it for sure made me stronger and it made me more understanding of myself and my feelings and who I was. It definitely changed me. Well, I, um, I applaud you, Sabrina. This has been um, quite a journey you've taken all of us on. Um, and mostly through all of it, I hear so much strength and courage and finding, like you said, a more sure footing and balance and figuring out what your body needs and anticipating those needs so brilliantly. And I think the survivors we have you know, listening today are going to benefit from, you know, you kind of paving that way and showing that it's it's possible. It's going to be a really big uphill battle, but you took that on on so many levels with it. You know, your parents, your friends, your school, your justice, like all facets. You, you went there and you stayed steady and you got through some really, really tough stuff. So, I applaud you. Um, Claire, thank you so much for joining us today um, and sharing this time. So this has been another episode of Dear Katie Podcast, and this is 
um, you know, again, thank you, Sabrina, for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. And I just, can I make one last comment? Sure. This whole situation, through it all, um, I've met you and other people that have gone through traumatic stories and everything. And I just want everyone to know that everyone's story is valid no matter the circumstance. Um, my story was a person of authority, a teacher raping me. Someone's story could be about their husband or an uncle or anything. And I just want them to know that no matter what, to believe in yourself and trust yourself and do what's best for you and just remember that your story is yours and only yours and that you deserve to have peace and strength and courage to make it out. Oh, that's so, so true. Absolutely, Sabrina. Thank you for Yeah, beautifully said, Sabrina. So, again, this is Katie Kefner. And this is Claire Kaplan. We are so grateful to all of you who have joined us to listen and learn, no matter your reason for being here. This podcast is for everyone from all walks of life. For support, please visit our resources listed on the tapebackthenight.org website, where you can tune in to our upcoming events and gain access to our free legal hotline. Self-care is self-love. Thank you again to all of our listeners. Uh, We look forward to welcoming you back in a week for another episode of the Dear Katie podcast. And together we will shatter the silence and end the violence.